Hey guys and girls, welcome back to Molecule to Market from a very, very sunny and warm Toronto, not a set of words that I expected to see. As always, we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector today and I'm your host, Roman Segal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech ecosystem with Bruce Thompson, who is CEO at Kincel Bio. Uh, what a great guest we've got in store for you today. Uh, really exciting launch of a new CDMO, and uh, Bruce goes into quite a lot of detail about that and his first role as CEO as well. For background, Bruce is the CEO of Kintel Bio and brings uh, almost 30 years of experience in uh, his position. Prior to that, he was VP and technical lead uh, for the Cell Therapy franchise at Resilience, where he helped to build the development and GMP manufacturing capabilities and served as a technical leader, both internally and externally. He has over 18 years of CMC strategy, product development, and cell therapy manufacturing experience. And in his first startup role, he was VP of Process Sciences at Lyle Immunopharma, where he was responsible for process and analytical development, as well as the tech transfer of processes methods uh, to a newly built GMP facility. Prior to that, he served as a Senior Director of Therapeutic Products at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center, where he led GMP manufacturing for cell and, gene therapy, cell and gene therapy products. He was also responsible for supporting over 50 active clinical programs and contributing to filing of six INDs of various cell therapy programs. He's also spent 10 years advisor in pharma sciences division and received his BA in biology and an MS in biochemistry from the Ohio State University and a PhD in microbiology and immunology from the University of Louisville. Very impressive guest and a great, great story coming up for you to listen to today. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and rate the podcast and enjoy today's show. Hey, Bruce, welcome to Molecule to Market. Thanks, Roman, for having me. Very excited to, to talk to you today and happy to be here. Yeah, really excited. And it's been a, a very exciting couple of months in your life. And we will get to that in a few moments. But before we do that, Bruce, let's start by giving our listener a bit of an overview of you and your journey in the industry so far. You've had a, a pretty impressive journey to, to where you are today. So if you don't mind just kind of talking us through that and uh, just kind of get us get us going. Sure. Told this story an awful lot lately in the new role, but um, I'm a PhD immunologist by training. I did a PhD a number of years ago in T-cell immunology in a stem cell institute in Louisville, Kentucky. So I was one of a number of folks in a graduate lab working on T-cell survival signals before a lot was known about what um, T-cell signals are required for T-cell differentiation, T-cell survival upon vaccination, et cetera. So really interesting early science. And from there, uh, moved on to do a postdoc in structural biology and uh, virology. So learned a lot more about T-cell signaling, about the T-cell uh, receptor structural biology and how it engaged with uh, different antigens. And then some early drug development, we worked on a neutralizing antibody for West Nile virus, which at the time was kind of the scourge of uh, the population, if you will, in the early 2000s. From there, uh, moved into pharmaceutical sciences at Pfizer and kind of spent my formative years, uh, about 10 years or so at Pfizer in St. Louis in a development organization. 
and for a long time was kind of a misfit being a PhD scientist, really focused a bit more on research than development, but was a fantastic opportunity for me to learn uh, drug development A to Z. So I started out in an analytical lab doing cell-based bioassay development, worked my way into some leadership roles where I was an analytical leader for a Clostridium difficile vaccine. Had a lot of early engagement with the FDA and learned uh, quite a bit about how to put together module three section of an IND, uh, that time for a vaccine, but also then later for uh, large molecules, antibodies, biospecifics. And ultimately, about five or six years into my career, stepped into uh, what we call the pharmaceutical sciences team leader role. So was responsible for all the disciplines in pharmaceutical sciences, so indirectly quality quality control, quality assurance, bioprocessing, analytical development, supply chain, project management, program management, really how you get a molecule out of research into uh, phase one clinical studies and beyond. So that was really informative in terms of my understanding of drug development. And eventually Pfizer uh, licensed some allogeneic CAR-T assets. So suddenly being a T-cell immunologist and a development organization made a lot of sense. And I was able to um, sort of use those skill sets on the immunology side and help develop some of the early um, allogeneic CAR-T elements that came in from Servier and Selectus and later became the foundational IP for allergy. So really exciting to sort of see that mature, you know, midway through my career development. But your time at Pfizer, you know, almost a decade and what's been, you know, in the various interviews, a hundred and 40 plus interviews that I've done is, you know, I've had the fortune of meeting many people that have worked for a big pharma company. And they, you know, when they do 10 years plus, they tend to stick around for another 10, 20 years or so. So do you mind talking about that decision to eventually leave Pfizer after 10 years? Because I imagine it was a difficult decision, you know, especially given you had built uh, presumably a, a very well-respected reputation within the organization given given the success that you had there but just uh, you know from from history it tells you that you know when you've been in a business that long you tend to stick around for another decade or two yeah Ramon very very insightful question because you're right around 10 years there is that demarcation where it is either stay forever or step away um, I had been thinking quite a bit about making a career change and you know, I was enjoying the development aspects for those allogeneic CAR-T assets, but as often happens in large pharma, Pfizer decided to divest those assets. And so as, as I became more aware of that divestiture, I decided that I wanted to stay in cell therapy. So I made the decision to step away. And to your point, not an easy decision. And retrospectively looking back, um, I feel very grateful and was spoiled to have been surrounded by fantastic mentors and, you know, very high functioning individuals. So I've been in a lot of places where I've seen peripherally the impact of leadership that's developing or leadership that's not aligned. Um, I've been pretty lucky in my career where most of the companies I've worked at have had really strong leaders. And, you know, the elements of my experience at Pfizer kind of taught me kind of what to look for, how to think about these new opportunities. And um, as I stepped away from Pfizer, I went to Fred Hutch uh, in Seattle. It's an academic medical center and the polar opposite of large pharma. And so I was really intrigued by the high science, the nearness to the clinical trial elements. And 
So for about a year and a half, I ran the uh, GMP facility uh, at, at the Fred Hodge Cancer Research Center and really got to experience, you know, on the clinical side, how you get early phase cell therapy programs into early development, phase one clinical development. And, you know, learned a lot, a lot about, you know, patient selection and about the early engagement for, you know, principal investigators and how they approach clinical trials at these academic centers. It was really formative for me to think about, you know, how to pull these largely academic processes out of the PI labs and develop them into early clinical development. And there's a lot that has to happen there. And there was a good learning curve for me to experience. And what it taught me was in these academic medical centers, there are brilliant scientists, but they're rewarded in a way that's very specific. The NIH funding mechanism where most of these grants are funded, most of the PIs have their research dollars coming from, they reward biology and depth of science. They don't necessarily fund the development aspects that are needed to get these programs to commercialization. So it was a great opportunity for me to learn more about the dichotomy of high science versus pharmaceutical development. Uh, and that's uh, one, of the, one of the pieces I took away from that step out of large pharma is it's a very different world on the other side of the fence, if you will. And so was able to, to gain some experience there in the early clinical space. And then from there, um, another couple of career opportunities to step into startup and um, then eventually manufacturing services. And one thing, one observation, I suppose, in your early kind of formative years is, I suppose, your exposure to cell therapy, T-cells and that part of the market, which is now obviously very... Uh, very well known, but I suppose, you know, rewinding back the clock, you know, 15, 20 years ago, did you, did you envisage how significant that type of area was going to become in the industry or that, you know, that type of modality in terms of how it was going to have an impact on patients many years later? Did you realize you were working on something that was going to really explode in the next 10, 15 years? I'd love to say that I was, uh, you know, a, a premonition there and, and had the understanding <laughs> that it was going to be the next big uh, thing. But to be honest, I, I didn't. Um, we were more focused in the vaccine space and really understanding response to um, antigen introduction to the immune system, and then how do you how do you propel the vaccine response for the T cell populations as opposed to um, using it as a therapeutic. But it, it makes a lot of sense in retrospect, thinking about how to retarget these T-cell populations to uh, tumors and other untoward diseases. Yeah, right place, right time, right, to get that level, that, that foundation of knowledge that's going to, that no doubt has served you well, Bruce, in your career, uh, you know, to, to date. And then obviously, you know, you know, you know, prior to, oh, sorry, after the experience, the academic research and time at Pfizer and you then jumped into a couple of different roles and uh, I wanted to focus on it and I might get the pronunciation incorrect here. Is it Lyle or Lyle uh, Immunopharma, immuno, immuno which looks like an interesting business. I've not come across them before. Um, what was your experience at Because you spent a, a good few years in that business as well and it looks like you'd progressed well and that was seemingly a real move into the manufacturing space as well. Yeah, so Lyle Immunopharma was a, a really fun and interesting opportunity for me. And, and this comes back to that 
breadth and depth of the network that I had built at Pfizer. Um, I had worked closely with a, a clinician, Primal Patel, who had um, recommended me for an opportunity at Lyle. And I met with Rick Klausner, the founder and, and original CEO and former head of the NCI. And we had a great conversation around how to think differently about um, CAR-T in the autologous space. And the the premise of Lyle was it was a spin out of a, a number of academic academic institutions, the Fred Hutch, University of Washington, and Stanford. And there was a number of different technologies that we felt could be brought into the clinic to solve for the let's call it the clinical issues that we were seeing with current generation CAR T assets. Knew that targeting was often an issue when you start to move out of the hematological space into solid tumors. So targeting would be important. And that's where the uh, intellectual property from David Baker's group at University of Washington was around some targeting and some interesting ways to think about um, selecting various elements of tumor cells that would limit toxicity. And then durability was another issue where we would see responses that um, at first looked spectacular, but then over time would wane and you would see patients relapse. So durability became another um, driver for T-cell um, fitness, if you will. And then uh, from the Hutch's perspective, they had a number of unique um, elements that allowed us to pick the right candidates and the right targets. So if you started to put all those different elements together, you had a company that had a different way to approach the CAR-T asset development space because you had ways to toggle on targeting or trafficking or durability or safety. And that aggregation of technologies, I thought was really exciting. So I started originally um, to build the manufacturing team and you know early conversations around how differentiating we thought the technology was led us to build our own facility. So I had a lot of experience there and we hired uh, a head of manufacturing to come in and build the facility. And I slid over into a development seat. So I moved into what we call process sciences. So I built the process and analytical development team, uh, built the processes, built the analytical methods while they were building the facility. And that allowed us to, to bring up multiple sort of pillars of the company in parallel, if you will, so that we were ready for our first clinical programs with the processes, the analytics, and the facility around the same time. And that, uh, I suppose, that experience of building out teams and processes and the manufacturing pieces is a great segue to what you're doing now as you're, uh, you know, the, the CEO at Kinsel Bio. So let's, let's focus on that because, you know, it's a very exciting time for you personally, but also the organization. So Let's start by talking about Kinsell and you give our listener a bit of an overview of where this business has come from. Obviously, it's recently launched as a spin out from a previous organization. So if you can give some of the backstory of how this business has come about and also what what areas you're going to focus on as a, as a CDMO. Yeah, I think there's there's a one intermediate step in between those two that I think is important to, to mention. And that's the um, when I left Lyle Immunopharm, I stepped into a role at Resilience to build the cell therapy franchise with them. And that was my first entree into manufacturing services. So, so to me, it was clear that there was an opportunity to not just build one program for one company, but help a number of pro- programs from a number of companies reach clinical trial capability or phase one readiness. And so I helped uh, for about two years 
stand up the cell therapy franchise at Resilience on the technical side. I was the technical leader. So again, in the process and analytical development space, CMC development space. And that gave me a really good understanding of you know, what it takes to engage with clients, how to think about um, phase one clinical development of an asset that you don't necessarily own but have to partner with. And so I, I think that was a foundational experience in that manufacturing services space that prepared me for the role at Kensell. Yeah, I, I absolutely, uh, you're absolutely right. And, and from, I suppose, looking at your experience that couple of years there, absolutely foundational and no doubt the platform at which you're probably taking on to your new role at Kensell. Yeah. And so Kinsell Bio is, is a really interesting opportunity based partly on um, the market, based partly on the opportunity and based partly on the relationships that I built built over the last couple of years. So the concept of Kinsell came about uh, late last year in some discussions uh, with Shalesh Mangi, who was chair of the board and at the time was the CEO of Inceptor Bio. And Inceptor was an innovator cell therapy company here in RTP. And one of the interesting concepts there was they had a development organization, a research organization, and they had purchased a facility in Gainesville, Florida um, from Arantabio. And they were in the process of pivoting this facility towards the GMP production of cell therapy products for their internal use. As the market has changed and financing for biotechs has changed. We all know sort of where we are and uh, I'll, I'll wink and grin that we are on what I think is maybe an upslope because we've seen a lot of positive news in the last couple of weeks that there's there's more investment coming and there's a lot of interest and there's a lot of excitement for not only gene therapy, but also cell therapy products coming. Inceptor decided that they have a lot of manufacturing capacity in this facility in Florida and they weren't ready to, to optimize that. They weren't going to need it all. They weren't going to use it all. And so the concept of carving that facility and that team out and then wrapping funding around it started to become the basis for Kinsel. And so in April this year, we spun the company out. We wrapped the funding around it. And we started to pivot the Florida facility and team towards client-facing manufacturing services. And just a few weeks ago, we were able to successfully launch. We were coming out of stealth and able to really introduce ourselves to the greater community as a potential partner for early phase clinical manufacturing of immunotherapy and CAR-T, CAR-macrophage, CAR-NK programs. And I think one of the things that we're really proud of is we have a really strong group of analytical scientists. We're building the process development group to complement that. We have a number of suites that'll be GMP ready at the beginning of next year. And uh, you know, we're really at a point where we can help a number of young companies enter phase one clinical studies. And I think that's really the forte for Kensell. It's the thesis that we founded it on, which is a group of trained scientists, a facility that has the capability to produce phase one, early phase clinical material, and a team that's done this before to take programs out of early concept uh, academic labs or early startup. Uh, environments and mature them into phase one clinical studies. Yeah, very exciting time, no doubt, Bruce, and, and huge congratulations to you and the team. I'm sure it's been a, a busy a few months in terms of launching Kinsell and, and actually just bringing it to market as well. One thing I noticed uh, in, in I suppose, researching was uh, how you call yourselves a technology forward a CDMO. Do you mind talking about what technology forward means to you guys? 
Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an interesting concept that we're thinking about, and, and most people would take the technology as a part of what we do day in and day out. But thinking about the complexity of the manufacturing process means you need to have control. Uh, thinking about the autologous nature of many of our therapies means you have to understand the chain of identity, chain of custody, the elements that ensure that the patient material gets back to the same patient. Much of that is done through electronic um, control. So manufacturing execution systems, enterprise resource planning systems, scheduling systems. Traditionally, a lot of that's been done with paper. And so we want to make sure that we have the technology available in the digital landscape to provide oversight, to provide manufacturing records, to provide the things that we need to ensure the fidelity of the product and the chain of identity, chain of custody required for the patient materials are available for our partners. I also think that there's an element of technology forwardness that is um, inherent in the complexity of this manufacturing elements for autologous therapy. So we can certainly generate material using sort of manual open um, processes, but we also want to be thoughtful about engaging with the technology developers and ensuring that we're able to aggregate these technologies and enable companies to use them should they choose to. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Appreciate you kind of explaining that and it makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, I, I look at an organization like yours and coming into the market today and, and think on one hand, it must be very exciting. On the other hand, it must be uh, hugely um, concerning is not the right word. You know, it's, it's daunting, right? You know, launching a CDMO business in a relatively fragmented market in, in North America. So how do you guys look at the opportunity then, you know, appreciate, you know, you're in a very sexy space in terms of what you guys do, but, you know, huge amount of investment, huge amount of kind of focus on, you know, getting that facility into in shape to be able to offer these services to the market. So, you know, what, I suppose, what keeps you up at night, what, you know, when it comes to launching an organization like this and ensuring its its success in the next few years. Yeah, I think um, and daunting is is a fair assessment, but I think it's also opportuni- opportunity-driven. So I, I, there's a really interesting dichotomy here for us. And what we've seen with a lot of cell therapy CDMOs is uh, this element of wanting to be able to solve for everything. So they build an infrastructure that allows them to make everything from plasmids to vectors to engineered cells to you know, disparate number of cell therapies. And I've used the the analogy of cell therapies um, to renewable energies quite a bit. So, you know, th- there's not just one type of cell therapy, there's probably 50 different flavors. And so if you're going to be really good at all of those different things, it requires an enormous infrastructure, it requires lots of people, lots of capabilities, lots of complex equipment, and lots of knowledge to drive all of that forward. The, the thesis for Kencel is we want to be good at a couple things. We don't have to be good at every single thing, but we want to be really good at the things that we're able to produce and provide for our partners and clients. So that's why we've kind of drawn the goalposts around immune cell therapies. So this allows us to focus resources, expertise, equipment, capital, all those things into a more defined space. And to your point, it is riskier, right? Because we have a smaller subset of the population that we can service. 
But at the same time, we can solve for those other pieces of the puzzle through external collaborations and partnerships. I just wanted to, I suppose, underlining that point there, I think it's a terrific point you've made, Bruce. And I, you know, I, some of the great success stories that I've seen in the CDMO sector in the last 10 years have been companies that have stayed true to a specialism and try not to do too much. I think one of the biggest challenges for larger CDMOs is, you know, being everything to everyone. Whereas if I've understood correctly, what you guys are looking to do is, is be very, very focused on immune cell therapies and actually, you know, to your point around flavors, offering every flavor possible for that particular marketplace and then use external partnerships where required to, I suppose, uh, add on and service clients in different ways. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think the, the thought process is you can control your spend, you can control your headcount, you can control the things that are within you know, the framework of what you want to be experts. Everything else becomes opportunistic and you can partner and aggregate those capabilities. So for us, we just announced a partnership with Exmoor Pharma and they complemented a lot of the things that Kencel is building. So while we're focused on autologous cell therapies in the US, they're focused on viral vectors. They're located in the UK, so they can give us access to autologous therapies in the UK and the EU. They're focused on allogeneic therapies. We can partner with them to provide allogeneic therapies to the US market, or we can tech transfer processes to provide local or domestic support. We don't want to be a viral vector manufacturer, so we have a partnership here to solve for that for our clients. That's what we're sort of thinking about with respect to the broader ecosystem and you know, the, the Kineticos Ventures ecosystem that funded part of Kinsel has funded other companies as well. So we now have access to other organizations, other companies, other areas of expertise through the ecosystem. Yeah, that's true. And I wanted to, wanted to highlight something you said there around external partnerships. And I think that's a, in the way that your partnership with Explorer in the UK will work. I think it's a, I think it's a very underrated way of growing your business, actually. And I, I know a, a kind of a mutual friend of ours, TJ Hughes, who's been on the, you know, sorry, TJ Higley, who's been on the podcast before. Uh, he he talked about the value of external partnerships as well and how that's helped him in previous roles. So I think it's a really smart kind of approach that you guys are taking to, I suppose, limit your investment as well in the nicest possible way. Like you, you know, it would co- it cost you a fortune if you tried to bring everything <laughs> in house, which seems uh, unrealistic. So I think it's a, a terrific learning for our uh, listener there. And what about you, Bruce? So this. If I've understood correctly and kind of navigated your kind of career trajectory today, am I correct in in thinking this is your first CEO role? And if so, how are you feeling about it? Because I imagine this is a a first CEO role is a huge undertaking and comes with all kinds of pressures that I know uh, firsthand. So how are you thinking about it and how are you preparing yourself to, you know, to to nail this role where, where, where possible? Yeah, that's, that's a, it's a very, it's a very good question. Um, this is my first CEO role, and uh, in talking to a number of people in preparing for the opportunity, uh, I had to think about a lot. So, what one individual asked me, uh, "Do you even want to be a CEO?" And I had to think about that because it had never occurred to me that there was an opportunity to 
to really think through uh, CEO versus another C-suite um, role. And so I think my intent in this role was really to be the driver of the organization. So I had built organizations at Lyle in the manufacturing seat, it, resilience in the franchise leader kind of technical seat. I would argue that the franchise model gave me sort of the line of sight of a CTO sort of operations technical leader. Um, and so I had seen, at least to, to an extent, some of that um, responsibility prior. But I think the, 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 at the end of the day, when I sat down and thought about the CEO role for Kencel, it was really being the person in the ultimate uh, driver's seat responsible for not only the technical decisions, but the, the leadership build the client-facing elements, managing the board, moving towards the external environment and engaging with investors, all of those to me are very exciting and, and opportunities for me to grow. I feel like I have a pretty good CMC background. I understand you know, really face clinical development. I understand the science, the biology, even the engineering to, to a great extent. My blind spots are you know, the financial pieces, because as I mentioned, I'm a PhD immunologist, I'm not an MBA. To that end, I'm bringing in people around me to help support and uh, essentially cover those blind spots for me. I'm not one of those individuals that have to know everything and be the smartest person in the room. I've not been in that seat in many, many years. Instead, I'm a leader that brings the right people to the table and allows them to do what they're the best at. And I think that thesis kind of goes through and through at Kinsale, which is you know, we want to be really, really good at what we're really, really good at. And we're going to bring in outside support and aggregate support for the things that we need help with, if you will. Mm -hmm. Appreciate your openness. And I think it's a great uh, lesson for anyone listening that is in, whether it's a new leadership role or in a, a more kind of advanced leadership role, just the, the value of recognizing the people around you and bringing in areas of expertise. Because as you said, Bruce, like you can't, be the expert in absolutely everything, but it is about complementing uh, the strengths of, of different team members to getting the best out of everyone. And that's kind of your role. And I think it's a, it's a huge step for you personally, Bruce, no, no doubt about it, in, but also a, a very, very exciting one uh, in terms of taking this business to the next level. And I suppose, you know, I encourage anyone to look at the Consult website and just to look at the kind of the board and leadership team there you've really managed to recruit some some heavy hitters as well so how how have you managed to do that <laughs> you know is it has that been a healthy checkbook has it been um has it been just you know the the value of network because it's uh super impressive the the kind of people that you've been able to bring in for this business well, first of all, thanks, Raman, for the the compliments. I think it's really a testament to the thesis that we put forward around Kinsell. So there, there is a, a great ecosystem of individual contributors. We've managed to hire some some very talented people, and we're continuing to hire um, talented people to build out the leadership and the um, organizational structure of Kinsell Bio. From a board perspective, um, I, th I think we have some very talented board members that have some as, as you mentioned, some very impressive backgrounds and experiences, especially in the manufacturing services and financial spaces. So again, looking to complement sort of my expertise with their expertise makes Kensel even stronger. And then we haven't announced it, and I'll preview it here, but we are um, putting together a scientific advisory board, which you'll see in the near future has some fantastic individuals on it. 
And so given that we are really thoughtful about partnering with early phase clinical programs, that means we really have to understand the science and the biology. And then we can bring some of the engineering solutions that we have available to that. But we're really looking to hire um, talented people and then complement them with leaders in the field, either from a scientific advisory perspective or in the ecosystem of companies through the Kinecos Farina. And Kinecos is your uh, the investment company behind the D- the investment. Is that correct? That's correct. Kinecos Ventures, as, as well as um, some other individual investors that have come to the table to provide the the, the round Series A funding. Yeah, fantastic. And certainly, again, encourage our listener to go and have a look at these organizations. They are super impressive. And one thing I wasn't sure about, and maybe maybe I misunderstood this. So obviously, the the facility was a spin out and or a carve out effectively from Inceptor Bio. Isn't it Inceptor Bio? Were they developing their own products, or is that a, another service provider of some description? Yeah, it's good. That's a good uh, clarifying point, Raman. The Inceptor Bio is a therapeutic developer, so they're in the process of developing a number of therapeutic assets. So the facility in Florida is a carve-out from their CMC and manufacturing organization, and we've pivoted them from thinking about manufacturing for the innovator Inceptor to client partnerships in the external manufacturing services space. So thank you for clarifying, because that was my understanding effectively. It's uh, going from developing their own therapies and products to effectively doing so for numerous clients. So, and just because I've come across this challenge in the industry before, and one of the biggest barriers with carve-outs is you you take a facility which has got great, uh, you know, the nuts and bolts of that facility are fantastic, whether it be technology, equipment, capabilities, but one of the biggest you know hurdles you come across is then the mentality of the people in that organization or at that facility because they've been so used to doing you know i suppose working for one organization in a way and then asking them to think about client servicing and working on numerous projects and different types of projects and different time scales etc presumably that's part of your challenge now as as ceo is to kind of take that existing team at the site on the journey uh, and just, I suppose, is that correct? And also just how are you going about doing that? Because I imagine that's a, that's a huge, huge challenge for you to try and overcome and, and take the team. Yeah, it, it is indeed correct. And it is a shift in the way people think about their day-to-day. I think there's a couple elements there. One, you know, from a CDMO manufacturing services perspective, it means Kensell starts with 75% of the pieces of the puzzle to be ready for client interactions. So it's not as if we purchased a warehouse and we had to go hire 30 people and train them. We essentially purchased a ready-made facility that was near GMP ready and 30 people that came with it. So we're essentially filling in a couple of small gaps in the organizational structure. We're doing some um, upfitting of the facility in Gainesville to be more robust in the autologous cell therapy space and ready for, for client work early next year. So from a facilities perspective, I think that makes a lot of sense. There are two components that that we need to build additionally, obviously, as an innovator, therapeutics developer. Inceptor didn't have a sales organization. They didn't have the same program management for external project management, proposal writing, those kinds of things. So we're building those organizational structures 
um, as we speak. And the other part is the mentality um, of the the organization, thinking about how to build processes, programs, analytical methods, and manufacturing batch records and services for a third party versus an internal research program. And what I told the the team in in April when we when we first announced the carve out, there are a lot of synergies and there are a lot of parallels to being in, for example, a large pharma organization where you have five, six, seven different types of research organizations that move projects into development. You don't get to pick what comes into development. Usually that's, you know, that's done at a very, very different level. And so as a development organization, you often get programs that come in from research that you have to execute on. In that regard, this is not that different. So you, you do have a similar scenario where these projects are coming in from a third-party client, but the relationship should be the same. The ownership of those programs, whether it's internal or external, should not be different. And that's the sort of mentality that we're trying to build at Kensal. Treat these programs like they're coming from your R&D organization or your research organization versus a third party. And that comes back to the executive leadership team and building the right client partnerships. So we have to be very thoughtful about who we partner with, how we partner with them, and make sure that we're having a dialogue about the development aspects. What we don't want to be is a pair of hands in the corner just doing something for somebody. We want to be an active partner. We want to own the development aspects. So when we make a mistake, which is inevitable, we could come back to our partner and say, here's what happened. Here's why it happened. Here's why or how we're going to make changes so that it doesn't happen in the future. Versus, well, we made a mistake. Sorry, it's contractualized. You know, so we'll move on. That's not the intent. Yeah, and I think there's a lot to be said for almost treating treating those opportunities and as all those products as uh, you know, as almost as their own babies, if that makes sense. In that the kind of the team there is used to doing that as well, and I think that will lend itself to clients recognizing that the team not only know what they're doing but really care about developing whatever the therapy is, which is uh, surely very reassuring for clients as well. So it's it's no doubt an exciting time for for, for you, Bruce. And you mentioned something before in, in passing and I kind of underlined it on my note so I didn't come back and in, in it kind of is a great, I suppose, uh, pivot to, towards the back end of this conversation, which is looking forward and talking about the market at, at large at the minute. And you, you said that you'd seen, uh, you're seeing a bit of an up an upturn in the market. Obviously, it's been a bit of a an up and down year, maybe last 18 months, uh, particularly for the kind of early phase uh, biotech space, which is exactly where I suspect you are going to focus your intention. So talk to us about how you're viewing the market today and what the opportunity looks like. And I suppose any green shoots that you're seeing that will uh, put a smile in on, on, our, on the face of our listener today listening in. Yeah. So I, I guess from our perspective, we see a lot of interest in uh, technology being moved out of our academic institutions. So I've had a number of conversations with um, lots of different academic institutions about their PIs, the technology that they're pulling forward. And I'd say two or three years ago, it was almost every single idea warranted its own biotech company and was wrapped with funding from uh, the venture market. We're not seeing that quite so much today, but what we're seeing, I think, is um, better programs or aggregate programs where, as I mentioned with Lyle, you've got two or three interesting technologies that then get combined into a company, which likely uh, will be successful. 
um, because it has a diversity of products. It's not a single sort of track into the clinic. And so I'm excited about that because we are seeing a lot of our academic institutions bringing stuff forward into the early space. As, as I tell my business development colleagues, you know, every program has to go through phase one. So the, the market for phase one opportunities is much larger. Um, and so I think there's a great opportunity for us to really impact that space and have some strong partnerships there. The other thing that I think is really interesting is um, the, for, for lack of a better way to say it, the, the initial investments in cell and gene therapy started three, four, five years ago for a lot of these investment firms. And you know they're looking to pull their money out and put it into new places. So I think that will also spur a lot of new and interesting technology that spins up in the next couple of years as private equity and venture capital look to reallocate funds into new and exciting opportunities um, from companies that have entered the public market or they've entered different funding mechanisms. A lot of that venture capital money and, and private equity money will be pulled out of existing things and redirected into new things. And a lot of those new things are probably going to be early in development and good opportunities for, for Ken Cell and companies like us who are focused on early development to partner with them. I really, really liked a lot of what you said there, actually, Bruce, and I was jotting down some notes around it in how you talked about the what you're seeing, almost a different type of market opportunity coming through. And obviously, you guys are focused very much on that early phase where the opportunity lies at the minute. And you know, without giving away too much of your strategic plan, do you see a future, I can tell, where you will you know, build out? capabilities to take clients further down into phase two, phase three, et cetera, et cetera? Or is it too early to go down that route and, and think about that at this point? Because presumably that could be driven by, you know, the right client opportunity as well. Yeah, I think I think if we're successful, then the answer is absolutely yes. I think our focus on early clinical is really based on what we are today, where our expertise today lies. If we do a good job, we will create very meaningful partnerships and relationships. And the obvious maturation of those would be into late stage, uh, clinical, pivotal, and then commercial. The challenge, of course, is if you think about a commercial autologous T-cell therapy for a solid tumor market, you're now talking tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of doses. And those facilities have yet to really been, be built and partnered you could argue that you know the large pharmas, Novartis, BMS, and Gilead Kite have, have done a pretty good job building some of the early infrastructure and will learn a lot from them as they mature and their, their throughput increases. But I think partnering with a company that has a successful phase one has really interesting early phase two or pivotal data to build a facility together would certainly be a welcome opportunity for us, but it would be an evolving sort of relationship build. And we've talked a bit about this because Exmoor Pharma, our UK partner, has 20 years of experience doing facility design, and they would be an excellent sort of aggregate capability for us to say, we can help you in phase one, we can get you into Pivotal, we can then build together with our extended ecosystem connectivities and collaborations for commercial support. And we could either build for you or build with you and be an operating partner. So it gives us a lot of downstream flexibility, the way we're building uh, Kinsel today and then the way we plan to expand it in the future. Thank you for that, Bruce. And uh, and indeed, thank you for being a guest on Molecule to Market. You know, it goes without saying, but 
yeah, a super, super thrilling time for you, your team, and for your new organization. And uh, we certainly wish you, Bruce, all the best in your new role as as CEO. And uh, yeah, we'll hopefully get you back on in a couple of years to talk about the success story uh, that is Kintel. So, uh, you know, long may it continue uh, and, you know, that you grow and create opportunities and jobs and, and help, uh, you know, early phase companies in this space. Well, thank you, sir. Re- really appreciate the time and really enjoyed the conversation and very much look forward to that uh, couple of years in the future when we can come back and say, here's how uh, the thesis played out and here's the dissertation defense and the success uh, thereafter. And that was Bruce Thompson, who is the CEO of Kinsel Bio. What a really lovely guy, I have to say. Um, I really enjoyed speaking to him today, but also prior to doing the interview. Uh, Bruce has a really lovely mannerism about the way he conducts himself and, uh, you know, has a very big job on his hands, but nevertheless has certainly, you know, all the components to make him a fantastic CEO. Um, I suppose just reflecting back on some of the learnings from today's episode you know i suppose in addition it's just interesting to hear his early experiences and you know 10 or 15 years experience that almost were the foundation for what he's doing today it didn't sound like that necessarily was the plan but it it is fascinating how life works out and all those roles that he had in the cell therapy space and you know you know very much ahead of his time have almost prepared him for this role that he's doing leading kinsel bio and uh you know i thought it was from an entrepreneurial perspective, just the daunting uh, yet exciting prospect of launching a new CDMO uh, that you know focused on early phase companies, I thought was terrific. The way he talked about that and his openness and honesty about you know taking on this first CEO role and uh, you know navigating away from just being a technical lead. And uh, I thought his kind of uh, humility that he showed when he talked about uh, you know covering blind spots and having smarter people around him. He's clearly a super smart guy, but he obviously recognizes the value of having you know experience and different skill sets that complement his um I, I appreciate also how he went into you know that subject that we've covered a couple of times on the podcast before that kind of challenge and opportunity of pivoting uh, a facility from you know a, a you know a spin out or an innovator to a cdm own business and the mentality change that takes and and how he's gonna how he thinks about that and how he's gonna navigate his way through that as well and towards the back end as well you know, he mentioned an uptick, an upturn in the market, and it was if it was really interesting to hear his take on how and why he sees more opportunities in the market, especially in that phase one space where there are tons of projects coming through. But you know how the funding mechanism may change in the market, which you know is is really insightful, I thought, and really smart to think about the market in that sense. So yeah, I really enjoyed Bruce and being a guest on the show, and I really really hope you did too uh thanks as always for my team for pulling today's podcast uh, together those guys are the greatest and i could not do this without them if you like today's episode or the podcast in general please like it and share it wherever you're listening to the show if you're out and about this fall at various events give me a shout it'd be lovely to meet you guys and get some feedback on the podcast thank you again hi again Thanks for tuning in to today's show. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. For more shows, have a look on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon, wherever you like to listen. And do make sure that you subscribe so the next episode comes direct to your device automatically. 
And please get in touch via our website, uh, Molecule to Market Pod, or via LinkedIn or Twitter. We love to hear from you. So if you have a guest that you want to suggest or someone in your organization that you think would make a great guest on Molecule to Market, then please let us know. We'll see you very soon. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.